our proposal in Catalyst talks about Mozambique, where we want to run a proof of concept. So in Mozambique at the moment, there are 30 million people and 600 mortgages, just 600 mortgages. That's it. So it gives you an appreciation for um, how difficult it is for somebody to get a traditional mortgage um, in places like Mozambique. And, and it's the same in other countries throughout Africa. Welcome to the Carano Source Podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, and on this weekly podcast, I catch up with a range of Cardano innovators, thought leaders, and changemakers who are using Cardano to make an impact within the world of cryptocurrency and beyond. As Charles Hoskinson puts it, we are Cardano, and if you permit us, we'd like to change the world. If that sounds like you, then make sure to subscribe, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the Cardano Source Podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, and today we are joined by Phil Lewis, co-founder of Empower, a unique decentralized property development and digital collectibles platform seeking to harness the power of community to empower people mostly excluded from the financial system. So, Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. No worries at all. Uh, as, as mentioned in our little chat before I started recording, uh, I'm really interested and well, particularly excited about this podcast because it's like this weird combination of a number of important areas that I'm passionate about. So my background is in architecture and I originally got into architecture, funny enough, because I wanted to get involved with designing and building affordable housing in emerging countries. Like That was literally why I started. I'm also very passionate about the environment because I think everyone should be, but I, I host a podcast outside of this, which is focused around conservation. And then obviously I'm a big Cardano fanboy and quite literally, cause I'm a, I'm physically a very big Kiwi and hence why I've got this podcast, but yeah, it's this weird combination of all these different areas and power seems to be kind of combining all these three things into one like financially sustainable force for, for good. So super keen for this. That's the plan. That's the plan. That's the plan. Well, it's a good plan. Yeah. It's a good dream. So we work backwards mm. from the dream. Um, but yeah, exactly. to kick us off, can you please um, do a little bit of introduction around who you are, your background, and what you do? So I got into the Cardano ecosystem probably in about 2018. I've kind of been kicking around in different forums and got involved in some of the early uh, test nets, like the the, the pre-ITN uh, Yorgamanda test net. And um, I've been in Catalyst since uh, Fund Zero. I was actually one of Daw's first uh, guinea pigs on um, trialing the, uh, the cool. voting app. So um, I've been around for a while in, in Cardano. Um, I've got over 20 years experience in IT in general, more broadly. And I think the uh, the fit that kind of drew me to um, empower us and so much, I guess, uh, how Glenn, uh, my co-founder and I kind of found that we had complementary experience was I've had probably for the last 10 years, quite a lot of experience building large software platforms. So that's exactly what we're trying to do here with Empower is, is, is build a large software platform. Mm-hmm. So I kind of brought that experience. Um, Glenn obviously brings um, quite a lot of experience in the housing development space um, in uh, markets in Africa, um, predominantly South Africa. Um, so when we kind of came together on the Cardano forum and we kind of started talking about how we might be able to leverage the Cardano platform to be able to um, service that kind of market, we just hit it off. Um, so did you meet each other on Cardano? Yeah, 
Like how did so that- we met we met on the Cardano forum. Yeah. Um, so Glenn just posted that you know he was looking for people to help him um, kickstart a, a project around housing in Africa. I've kind of been looking for projects within Cardano for a while um, that kind of would take my fancy, and I've had a few shots at a few different things that kind of some didn't really go anywhere. Um, some I'm still trying to get off the ground. But Empower is the one that's kind of stuck the most and is the one that I've obviously put quite a lot of um, time into. Um, it's been most of this year um, trying to get it off the ground. So, um, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Okay, so moving okay, on to Empower specifically. So from from a high-level perspective first, and then we can break it down. What is Empower? So essentially, it's a, a platform that will allow funding or financing of um, housing construction in Africa. Um, so one of the challenges that um, we're seeking to address is the inability for, for financing to get to people on the ground in Africa for a variety of different reasons. So um, obviously, one of the biggest challenges is... Um, I guess, informal employment, um, no um, credit rating. And so your traditional um, finance systems probably won't give a mortgage to the average person in Africa. So uh, as an example, and um, we might touch on Catalyst a bit later, but um, our proposal in Catalyst talks about Mozambique, where we want to run a proof of concept. So in Mozambique at the moment, there are 30 million people and 600 mortgages, just 600 mortgages. That's it. So it gives you an appreciation for um, how difficult it is for somebody to get a traditional mortgage um, in places like Mozambique. And and it's the same in other countries throughout Africa. Mm -hmm. So decentralized finance is obviously such a big thing um, taking off in the crypto community in general. So we wanted to, I guess, take advantage of that so that we could get funding to people who aren't able to get it through the traditional financing system. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the main approach for doing that is um, essentially by selling NFTs. So the NFTs um, will act as a, uh, a fractional ownership of the potential return that that property can give. It won't give you a fractional ownership of the property itself. Um, because that becomes too complicated from a, a legal standpoint. Um, it will be um, you are eligible to receive your share of the returns that this property will provide. Okay, okay. And just quickly on that, since you, that was the last thing you talked about, that fractional ownership mm-hmm. is not of the, the property itself. Uh, if you get that NFT, right. it's fractional ownership of any potential uh, wealth that is generated from that associated property. How, what does that wealth creation kind of look like? Are you talking about like renting or? Correct. Yeah. Rent. So it okay. would be, um, so we, we will be working with partners on the ground. So um, in Mozambique, um, we've got a partner called Casa Real. Um, so they're an existing affordable housing development company in Mozambique right now. And obviously as, a, as an organization, they experience the same challenges um, around getting customers who can afford to buy houses with a mortgage um, because of those challenges. So um, they currently run uh, a lease to own model. So uh, Casa Real still own the house after it's been built. And okay. the, um, the, the person who's buying the property leases it and that's over a 10 year period. Right, once yeah. they've leased, successfully leased it for 10 years, then they take ownership of that property. Okay, at least own. Okay. Um, okay, so 
going back to the problems real quick so I can wrap my head completely around the problem. Yep. So there's a housing supply issue. So you mentioned in Mozambique right. specifically, which is where you're doing your proof of concept. There are 30 plus million people there, 600, 600 so 600 zero, zero, uh, mortgages. Yeah. Not even 6,000, 600. 600, yeah, okay. So for those who don't want to do quick math, is that roughly <laughs> one mortgage per 50,000 people, roughly? That sounds about right. Sounds about right. So that doesn't sound very, very right at all from kind of that, you, you hear that statistic and that doesn't, it seems like there's some, some issue there. So can we break down why that is happening? So if, there, if you're in a country with 30 million plus people and there's only 600 mortgages currently in the works, why is that the case? So you mentioned a funding issue. Yeah, can you break down maybe why that exists? So um, as, as a traditional bank, and, and this applies everywhere in the world. It applies here in Australia, it applies in, in the US, it applies in Europe. A bank is deciding whether to give somebody a mortgage based on the level of risk that they've associated with that person. So can the person successfully service the mortgage? Um, and there's obviously um, credit reporting agencies around the world in different countries that help banks to determine what level of risk that person might be. You know, have they got a history of successfully paying for things? So that's the, the problem that people in Africa are facing right now is, is that they don't have any kind of mechanism for demonstrating that they can yeah. service a mortgage. Um, and therefore, um, banks can just see it as too risky. Um, gotcha. Now, the other – so the, obviously, the other part of that is um, – um, employment. So employment is not as formalized, I suppose, as it is in, in some of the other um, countries around the world where you um, would have an employer who um, would have a more structured uh, agreement um, and contract, um, I guess, employer-employee contract that you can then take to the bank and say, look, here, I've got, I've got a job with this employer. Um, and then I guess the other aspect as well is um, land title, which is a big problem in Africa as well. So banks may not want to take the risk because um, somebody may or may not have land title or land title could be disputed. So if they fund the building of a property on a piece of land and then there's a, a title dispute, then obviously that becomes complicated for the bank as well. Okay. So there's quite a variety of different reasons that impact this. Okay. So, so I can just make sense of this myself. So there is an issue with first step is if you're trying to get out a loan, you go to the bank who have the money to give you, they need to somehow verify if you can, um, you have the ability to pay that back. And currently there isn't right. an infrastructure that is super clear on whether or not they can do that. Another issue is the identity around of the person, but also um, ownership. So land kind of ownership there isn't necessarily super crystal clear who owns what. And from the, the bank's perspective, who's lending out the money, maybe that is an issue because they could foresee potentially a dispute in the future. Hopefully a Tyler Prism can help address that. Um, exactly. If they can go through those steps and they actually can get a loan, what is that mortgage rate, interest rate associated with that in a place like Mozambique, for example? Yeah, so um, for those that are fortunate enough to, to be able to then get a mortgage, so they've obviously ticked some of the boxes. Mm -hmm. um, there is still 
um, other factors that will then impact what interest rates um, they will be charged. So it, these factors may not necessarily be about that person specifically, but more broadly around the country and the economy in that country. So obviously we hear stories about um, hyperinflation in different countries. Um, so um, banks um, who are, I guess, getting their money from um, other banks around the world, um, those banks are um, increasing their interest rates to those smaller on the street banks because of those larger risks around the country itself. So um, as an example, and um, we highlight this on our, on our website, in Zimbabwe, the, um, the mortgage interest rate at the moment is 45%. So I mean, you can imagine trying to pay off a mortgage when your interest rate is 45%. It would just be almost impossible. Mm. Um, it's not quite as bad in Mozambique, but it's um, it's up there. You know, it's in the the, the mid to high 20s of a percent um, in Mozambique, and it and it varies across um, the continent. So, obviously, more mature um, economies like South Africa would have a um, more competitive interest rates, but then obviously other um, other countries um, like Zimbabwe. Um, obviously have really high interest rates. Okay. So on that, just as a comparison. So in Zimbabwe, the mortgage rate is 45% in Mozambique. It's like kind of high 20s. Um, I don't have a home yet, but the mortgage rate in Australia, I think on average is maybe around 3%, 2% as, yeah, as, as yeah. a rough two, idea. Two so, and a half, 3%. Yep. Yeah. So there's a big difference between 3% and 45%. And so I imagine even if someone was fortunate enough to go through those steps in order to apply for a loan, they still may not be in a financial position to pay that, um, that level of interest. Okay. So exactly. that is a big problem. And that, that is a problem that you're trying to address. So in terms of, you mentioned fundings, so in terms of what you're doing, what does that look like? So you are funding kind of developers on the ground in Africa, you're providing them with the capital so that they can do their thing. Is that kind of? Yeah, exactly. Works, so, so th this it now becomes a new source of of, of financing, uh, an opportunity for a new source of financing into these markets. So, you know, I guess the, the banking system. You know, we we all think, well, how does banking work? You know, how does lending and borrowing work? And you know, we think, well, I I, I put my savings in the bank, and um, that saving those savings are used to provide loans to other people. You know, that's kind of the the, the school level, what we think we know about banking and how it works. But obviously, the reality is it's a lot more complicated than that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, there's an opportunity now where we can say, well, um, instead of doing what we thought is the way banks worked, where we just put our fiat money in the bank and, and they'll lend it out, well, we can take control of that ourselves. We can actually um, help put our savings directly into some of these projects um, that, and, and we have a, a closer relationship with that than just uh, leaving it for a bank to decide who they should lend to. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. So the idea is, would you be bypassing the bank completely in terms exactly. of- Okay. Okay. I like that. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what I think that's why we all got into crypto was to get to bypass the banks as much as possible. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so I've got clarity around the what what you're trying to do. Can we dive into I guess the why? So why did you uh, feel the need to start co-found a project like Empower? Like obviously, um, as mentioned earlier, there's a social impact flavor there's a environmental flavor and then there's also a 
really good business opportunities. And there's also, we're leveraging blockchain. So there's a, a tech flavor there as well. And that's your kind of background. So was there one in particular that um, drew you into starting something like this? Or was it like this beautiful uh, combination of all these different things? Yeah. So look, I think um, my background um, working in IT prior to getting into blockchain, um, I've always worked in industries where I've, I feel um, it has some social impact. It's been an important criteria for me throughout my career. So um, I've, I've, you know, had opportunities living in Perth to work for big mining companies and, and get paid quite highly to work for big mining companies, but I've chosen not to do that and have predominantly worked in health and education um, because I actually want to spend my, you know, if I'm spending time away from my family to to earn an income, well, okay, great, I'm getting paid, but at the same time, I actually want to feel like I'm contributing something as well. So um, when I when I met with, with Glenn and um, he kind of put forward the idea that he had, which he'd kind of kickstarted without the blockchain in a in a previous job uh, in a previous um, company that he formed in South Africa, um, it, it kind of was just the right fit for me on a personal level um, that it was going to have that social impact that is something I've I've sought out um, my whole career. So I think definitely the business opportunity that also presents itself from this as well. Um, Obviously, it makes it a bit of a no-brainer because um, I think there's probably no reason why um, we can't deliver social good projects like this um, and, and I guess, have to scrimp and scrape. You know, people should be able to make money from doing these types of um, social good projects. But obviously, we don't want to be exploitative like, I guess, you know, the banks are now. You know, so mm-hmm. if we can, if we can um, provide financing to people on the ground in Africa and so that they can get a mortgage and, you know, even if you know, it's, you know, 5 to 10%, you know, so that's a 5% to 10% return for um, the people who are supplying that financing, um, which is obviously a lot better than we talked about, you know, with, you know, just putting your money in the bank. It's also a lot better than the interest rates they're currently getting charged. And and they can obviously have access to this, whereas they wouldn't be able to um, in a lot of the other cases. So it's... Um, you know, it's it's a it's a good opportunity from an investment perspective. Um, it's a good opportunity, as you said, from a, a social impact perspective, and obviously the environmental side of it. Um, as you said, everybody should want to support the environmental considerations. But look, if people are doing it without the the social Financial impact the perspective, or, the, or uh, if, if it's purely just about um, the the finances <laughs> for them, then, then that's fine. We're not, yeah, we, yeah, totally. we will encourage as many people to to get involved as possible. That there will be the side effect of their support of helping the environment and helping you know um, people on the ground in Africa. So, hundred mm, percent. I mean, from a if you are someone that is really interested or passionate about having a social impact or getting involved with environmental causes. If your mission is for that to be sustainable and scalable, there needs to be some sort of financial element that makes sense that's built into that system. Exactly. So for me personally, my, my life mission is conservation at scale. And currently in conservation, the primary model is not-for-profits organizations. And to me, there is a bottleneck of impact because, and that bottleneck is caused due to cash flow. You're essentially relying on on charity and donations. And if you want to scale your impact, there needs to be some economic sense in there somewhere. And yeah, like they they can complement each other. Like they don't have to be 
contrary, like opposing forces, which I think a lot of people exactly. unfortunately view it as like you can harmonize the two in, in some way that is actually optimal for impact. Yeah, so kind of a combination of, of all these things essentially is what you're saying. Um, exactly, yeah. And in terms of blockchain, so what is the rationale for integrating blockchain into Empower? So could Empower exist without blockchain? And like, what are the unique benefits um, Empower has through leveraging blockchain and also specifically Cardano? So I'll answer the second part of that question first and the why Cardano, um, because that's the easiest one. Look, I think, you know, anyone who's um, into Cardano probably already knows this, um, but at the end of the day, I'm obviously, I come from a science background, so obviously the science aspect of, of Cardano is a, is a big attractor for a lot of people. You know, I have a computer science degree, so this kind of just makes sense. Um, I uh, have talked in the past about the fact that, you know, Ethereum was a great proof of concept for blockchain <laughs> and smart contracts. But at the end of the day, um, they're, they're replacing their own proof of concept with, you know, ETH 2.0 because it's, it's, um, it's proven that there's the opportunity there, but it hasn't been implemented in a way that's scalable. So that was the main attractor for me. Um, but obviously, when we then add the, I guess, the African drive element that Charles Hoskinson has, um, they just seem to be a perfect alignment from a, a, a I guess, a, a community as well. So, you know, we were coming to a community that was already passionate about um the fact that there was this opportunity starting to evolve around Cardano in in Africa. So we, I mean, even without that, we probably would have been using Cardano, but obviously that's just a nice value add. Um, the fact that there's already a bit of a community built around that. Around that. So um, so why blockchain to, to, to get empowered to, to operate and, and could we do it without blockchain? Um, look, I think in theory it's possible, but it's not scalable. So one of the biggest challenges for us at the moment is, you know, the current backlog of 50 million homes in, in Africa. So if we were to, um, if we were to build five, 500,000 homes a year, again, quick math, you know, that's a hundred years. Okay. So we're only going to service the backlog in a hundred years at that rate. Right. So this, this really has to scale. Um, and the way to be able to, to do that is to decentralize this. It can't be Empower as an organization being a bottleneck for every single housing development that, that happens through the platform. So it's about building a decentralized platform that people on the ground can leverage to start doing this themselves. They will be the ones mm-hmm. creating the um, the service providers in different countries. You know, So we've partnered with Casarel in Mozambique. So we our, our hope is that, you know, um, other service providers like Casarel c- can just start using the platform. You know, they're not coming and asking permission to do this. They just they just use it. So they will submit a project to the, to the platform, um, which will generate some NFTs, which then people can come in and buy. And all that happens without anyone from the Empower as a company having anything to do with that. I love that decentralizing this whole solution. And in doing so, decentralizing. decentralizing the people, decentralizing the people as much as the technology. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hmm, I love that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, those big four. When I when I hear something that really resonates with me, I, I kind of pause, and maybe that's not good for podcasts, but I'll work on that. Uh, as we touched on earlier, there's obviously the social impact flavor to this, but there's also not a charity, and there's a reason behind that. Um, so there is some business sense to this. So can you elaborate more on, I guess, what the business model of Empower is? Can you kind of touch on the the, the business aspects around this? Like, how do you make money from this? So how do we as Empower make money or, or how do people who uh, help fund the housing make money? Maybe we can touch on a few, like who, who is making money yeah, from yeah. this? Yeah. 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 So look, I guess in, in the first instance, um, Empower as a, as a project, um, building a platform that um, both projects on the ground can submit their projects to have NFTs generated for um, to then be sold to, to people who want to help finance those projects. There'll be an opportunity for us to make money from that by obviously taking a commission on transactions as they occur through the platform. So, you know, in the creation of the NFTs, in the payments of rent, because all the rent payments will have to be processed back through the platform. So if if a house gets built and we use the same um, lease to buy model that Casarayal are using, um, then somebody's paying rent into the system for 10 years. Okay. And so uh, there's an opportunity for the operator of the platform to, to make a commission on each of those transactions. And then long-term, once uh, the last phase in our white paper talks about decentralization of the platform itself. Um, and I guess that's where, I guess, think of it almost like, like Chainlink as a, as a service, you know, so, um, multiple people can operate a an empower node that will um, service the requests through the platform so everyone would have an opportunity to to make a little bit of a commission on the transactions that go through it depending on on who actually processes that transaction at that time mm-hmm. so um, so that's I guess how the, the platform itself will make money um, how will people who are contributing into the, the uh, financing of the, the houses. Um, well, as we discussed earlier, uh, the, the people paying the rent will be paying it back over a 10-year period, which will eventually equal more than the original amount of money that was paid to build the house. So, um, And that's not necessarily, I guess, we just want to make sure that that's not seen as being, I guess, an exploitative element because that's one of the big things. It's about... Um, we don't want to be extractive from people on the ground. Um, so at the moment, um, rents in a lot of these, and this comes back to the, the housing shortfall, you know, the, ha- the rents in a lot of these um, jurisdictions at the moment are much higher than the equivalent rents would be in um, places like Europe and Australia. So there's an opportunity here to still provide returns back to the people who've helped fund the, the housing projects um, and even drop the rents in doing so of the people um, who are paying rents currently. So so there's, that's probably the most obvious, I guess, um, way to get a return that people would appreciate now because it's kind of similar to how people would think of an investment property now. You know, you, you build a property and you rent it out and you make a return. There, there are other opportunities as well, and this comes back to how we're actually planning to position the NFTs. Um, so if it's purely just a an ownership of the return, if that's the only um, value that that NFT had, then okay, that's great by itself. 
Um, but we're hoping to include a different layer in these NFTs. So um, we're starting to ideate around how we might um, almost make these a bit of a collectible. So um, why do people collect these collectibles like, you know, um, Pokemon cards or, you know, basketball cards? Um, so people collect those, you know, I guess, pre-NFT days, you know, piece of cardboard was a basketball card. Um, I mean, what's the physical value of that, you know, cents really, isn't it? It's not even a dollar probably to make one of those. Mm. But socially, everyone's agreed that it has value because maybe there's a limited number of them or, um, you know, it, it, it represents a special moment in that society, you know, maybe a particular basketball player who, you know, achieved a certain milestone. So, there's reasons why people collect collectibles. And so we wanted to kind of tap into that a little bit as well and say, well, would people value a collectible that represents the impact that this NFT has had on somebody's life in Africa? So, you know, if we can show that we've been able to take, um, you know, a woman out of poverty in in Africa or um, if we can have this NFT represent um, some environmental impact that, um, that that house that was constructed has had, then people may want to collect that as a collectible, a type of collectible. It's, it's not something that really exists at the moment, but we're hoping to shift people's view of what's important in, in what they value in a collectible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know often if you donate to some sort of charity, they may send you a card that acknowledges that donation uh, and that makes you kind of feel good. And then often they follow up with, look, this money that you donated that ended up buying this. And then they send you a photo of that thing. And then again, it makes you feel good. There's some like mm-hmm. kind of, you see the link between uh, your donation and the tangible real world uh, impact that that had. Exactly. Um, is it kind of a similar so the, so the- idea to that? Yeah, so so these NFTs, um, they they will be able to represent, I guess, the impact that they've had on people's lives, and it, you know, I guess in the first instance, we, we we're talking very simple, you know, maybe give them a score around what kind of environmental impact, what kind impact of score, score it's had on a community impact score. Yeah, um, but longer term, you know, you can imagine what can we do with these NFTs, you know, so. As an owner of an NFT, there are so many other things that we could do with that that we probably haven't even thought of yet. So some of the things we're thinking about now are, well, we can link stories to these NFTs. So, you know, you might be able to get a, you know, four out of five star impact rating for the the effect that you've had on the community with by funding this housing. But how about all the stories that go behind that, mm. the photos, the videos, how about some live streams? How about some AMAs with the people on the ground? You know, mm. um, you know. So the 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 sky's the limit with the ideas that kind of are bursting out of our heads at the moment. Um, they're yeah, just, definitely. you know, I mean, I, I can I can imagine a future where, you know, there's almost like a virtual reality where you could actually, you know, as the NFT owner, you have the privilege of being able to get into a virtual reality world and walk around these communities as well without having to get on a plane. You know, so mm. there's there's so many different things that we could do. Yeah, so much potential. Yeah, and and I smiled yeah. because when you said impact score, that's an idea I've been thinking about a lot. Also with my girlfriend, so I'm super passionate about conservation. She's super passionate about mm-hmm. like humanitarian type stuff, and um, yeah. we've always 
over date night, uh, like most people, we talk about our impact and social impact of changing the world. <laughs> but one idea is this, if, if there was some way to quantify impact, if there was some way to measure impact, put it into some number that we can then plug into certain systems. Uh, yeah. But that's, we could um, go on a massive tangent on that. So I'm massive not, tangent, but, yeah. but um, I just thought I'd bring that up because, yeah. But you can imagine, you can, you can imagine though that um, you see you've got a double whammy with these NFTs because not only have you got the stories and the impact that you've had, okay, but you've got a financial return coming back to this NFT as well. Now, you could, what do you choose to do with that financial return? Well, some people might just cash it out. Great, I've got my money back. But some mm. people might go, well, hold on. I could put this back in mm. and boost my impact score. You know, I've mm. only got a four out of five on this particular score. Mm. How can, how can I put my money back into this community and actually boost my rating even more? Mm. And this then starts to get into the gamification side of things, you know, mm. so yeah, if I've got a four out of five score and I boost it to five out of five, well, someone might want to buy that NFT off me. I want to, mm. I want a five out of five for the city of Bera in Mozambique, or I want to get a five out of five score for every African country. You know, I mean, I don't know why people what, what people look for in mm. sets of collectibles, but you can imagine there are a variety of appealing options that people might think about. Mm -hmm, definitely. And if we're going down that gamifying route, um, potentially there could be some leaderboard and then you can kind of integrate social media and sharing your things because when people do good things, often they like to share it with their friends and exactly. um, yeah. maybe people are like, you should do without sharing it. But if you're doing good, like <laughs> that's the main thing. I yeah. don't really care if you yeah. boast about it. Yeah. So that's that. Um, before we, move on. I just wanted to quickly go back to when you're talking about, um, so if Empower is kind of this link between uh, building developers, so you've got Casa Real as the building developer they have at the moment, and eventually you'd love to partner with multiple building developers throughout Africa and maybe like... Well, we, we have... We have other partners in the works because obviously um, Glenn and some of the people that he's worked with before have already yeah. got a network of partners. Um, but obviously from a proof of concept, we're focusing on Mozambique. Yeah. Um, but we've got plenty of other partners. Oh, going, you've got plenty Come of other on, partners. hurry up, okay. get this going, get this, get this yeah, going, yeah, yeah. get this okay, going. Okay. <laughs> so, but you're, you're the link between them and some financial uh, capital and you're ultimately hopefully bypassing um, the traditional banking system because there's a lot of uh, inefficiencies there. Um, okay. So when you, when you provide this capital to these building developers, are you kind of, they, they pay it back with interest. Is that how it works? So the, so the rent that's paid, um, yeah. will then get paid back into the platform. And yeah. so the, it, it gets paid back to the NFT. So you as the NFT owner oh, okay. also get that, um, that financial return coming back to you. Now, if you sell that NFT, then any return that was due to that NFT gets sold with that NFT. So um, it it um, tran that transfers across to the new owner of the NFT. Mm -hmm. They will, from that point forward, get any returns. And then the building developer takes the cut as well, since they're a chain in the link or... Yeah, so um, one of the things that we're actually looking at as well are ways that we can um, incentivize good behavior around the partners on the ground. So yeah. obviously, um, you know, we, we want to um, be mindful of the fact that, well, some people could exploit this new source of capital um, and, you know, do bad things, you know. So we, we want to be able to incentivize good behavior that um, 
and there's two ways of obviously doing that. Um, what one way maybe we've considered is um, they have to have some stake. Um, so you know, and if you if you don't do right by the platform and the the people who are due to get returns from these NFTs, then you you lose that stake. The challenge with that, obviously, is that not a lot of these um, partners on the ground in these countries have much capital of them set of their own to be able to put that up as stake. So it's a it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation with that. Um, so when we're looking at, um, I guess, instead of a stick, we're looking at a carrot. You know, so if is there an opportunity for them to um, buy? seeing this through for, you know, say the full 10-year period of that lease to own, that their return increases the longer they stick with that. You know, if they want to just make a short, you know, early exit and and, um, and and try and cut and run, well, they've lost this opportunity of sticking with it for longer because they wouldn't have got the returns early enough. The NFT owner, the collector, is that? No, 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 the partner. The, we're talking the, about the, the partners on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, so gotcha. so we're, we're trying to think of different ways to incentivize mm. good behavior by them as well, because obviously mm. that's an important factor in this, especially mm. in a decentralized model where there's no one controlling <laughs> entity. Like I said, you know, Empower isn't going to be the bottleneck for any of this. So yeah, it's the we've got to catalyst. encourage good behavior. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of game theory uh, opportunities here. Yeah. If, if, absolutely absolutely yeah, totally okay um, i mean we we haven't worked it out yet but we know that we need to you know yeah well like even when you're talking about now you can you can see that there are a lot of um, potential incentives systems that you can integrate into this so i imagine there will probably be a bit of experimentation um and fine-tuning that the optimal game theory so that the most so the net benefit for all involved is maximized as much as possible and don't forget as well we're using the blockchain so <laughs> that's that's going to that's going to record everybody's history so if if any party of any type be it a uh, a partner on the ground a, a property developer on the ground if they have not fulfilled their obligations as part of this whole process then that's going to be known to the, the, the entire blockchain but the inverse of that is is that those that do do right that will also be recorded so it's essentially almost like a bit of a, a credit score mm. process as well not just for the the project partners but even the um the people going through the lease to own so i mean this is a perfect opportunity for them to be able to demonstrate that they are a good payer it's recorded on the blockchain i've just mm. paid 10 years worth of a, of a lease to own and here's all the proof on the blockchain i mean mm. what better credit score is there yeah, it's kind of like a credit score system is built into the blockchain by default. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there any opportunities in terms of funding and kind of acquiring capital to to integrate DeFi protocols, specifically like lend and borrow protocols, into your funding mechanism? Like, is there opportunities to do that in the future? So, you're, I guess you've got multiple streams of um, funding. Yeah, so look, I mean, we're not closing off any possible avenue of, of getting um, funding into this, um, but similarly also funding that comes back out as well. So yeah, we, we fully anticipate that there'll be some integrations with DeFi platforms so that um, uh, there could be an opportunity to say to to have a, um, a trading of, of these NFTs or um, uh, I guess some other mechanism that doesn't rely on the fractional NFT ownership to be able to get um, money into some of these projects. You know, at the moment we're looking at, I guess, the, the affordable housing market 
Um, and so, you know, I guess they're quite manageable chunks of um, capital. But longer term, I mean, this mechanism could be used. You could have a fractional ownership or a complete ownership of um, a large project, you know, like a, a shopping centre or something like that. So, you know, it, it it's it's just a starting off point, but there are lots of other possible avenues that we could go down as well. And, and similarly with the returns, you know, um, so one of the things that we've talked about in the in the white paper is um, when you're getting your return, okay, it's attributed to your NFT. Now, you may choose or not choose to cash that out straight away. Now, if you choose not to cash that out straight away, well, it's pointless at just sitting there. So why not redirect it to some other kind of yield generator? Um, so as you get returns from from the rental payments, um, put that into some kind of DeFi platform so that it continues to then compound that wealth creation. Mm-hmm. And, and we even we even have gone really speculative on on ideas and said, well, if if a if an NFT owner does that, and we can still trace the NFT owner um, and that money that's now in a yield generator, well, why should the NFT owner be the only one that? gets any benefit from that additional yield generation maybe we should push some of that back into the the person who paid the rent so Mm. there's an opportunity for that compounding effect to not only benefit the nft owner but the 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 rent payer as well Mm. so you know maybe they can share that wealth creation process okay and and by rent payer based on the least owned model that rent payer after x years will be the owner as well of that property is Correct. That, yeah. yeah, yeah but okay. obviously, w- during that ten-year period, you know, there they're is. paying rent. So, like, let's say after five years, you've paid five years worth of rent, and the NFT owner puts that five years worth of rent into a, a DeFi platform and makes another ten percent on the rent that you've you've paid. Yeah. Well, we can we can actually track that because the platform can be the one that sees that additional yield being created and go, well, let's let's share some of that additional yield creation back with the the rent payer. Okay, so there's a, a potential incentive there for the, the the renter as well, just to assist them through. Obviously, after ten years, based on that lease to own model, they will have ownership of that of that land. But obviously, ten years is a long time. Yeah, yeah. There's another mechanism that we're also exploring as well. So one of the important criteria around this is an insurance um, mechanism. Okay. So um, obviously, in the in the instance way, I mean, the example that we give is, let's say there's a land dispute, so um, which is obviously a likely scenario. So the approach that we're taking from a housing construction perspective is we're actually looking at properties that are modular. So um, these are properties that could be constructed and deconstructed quite quickly. Mm. So in the event that there is a, um, a land dispute, um, we could essentially relocate that building to another piece of land so that that NFT owner who helped fund the creation of that isn't actually missing out on any rent. So part of the way that the platform will work is as the rent is paid, a portion of that will be, obviously a very small portion of that will be carved off and put into this insurance pool. And this insurance pool will be shared across the entire platform. So if you can imagine, hopefully there's millions of properties all paying rent and they're all paying a fraction into an insurance pool. Um, so hopefully there's only a small fraction of properties that yeah. actually do need to, to use that pool and you know, if they have to be relocated for any reason. Yeah. So you've got this pool of money 
and hopefully we haven't had to use all of it, well, what do we do with that? So the idea is, is that if you are a rent payer, okay, and you've been a good rent payer for 10 years, there's been no land dispute, no insurance claim of any description to, to do that. Well, maybe the rent payer could have some of that back as a reward for being a good tenant for 10 years. So mm. yes, they get their house, but I mean, indirectly, they paid for that anyway. Mm. Um, but by being a, a good rent payer for the entire time, um, they could take advantage of this um, pool of money that has been collecting just as a, as a hedge against anything that they, they might do wrong, which they didn't. So, mm. so interesting. So yeah, I think integrating that insurance part is definitely a, a wise, wise move. And the more I hear you talk about this, the more game theory keeps popping into my head because there's just so many, there's so many um, possibilities that you could play this out. And it's, that really excites me. Um, But I mean, the more we talk about this, the more you get an appreciation for the scale of this project. And the complexity. Yeah. It, it, it is, it is a huge undertaking, but um, we, we've basically said, look, we recognize that we're, we're not going to hide from that fact. And um, it's not going to be something that says, well, we're not going to try just because it's complex. You know, mm. at the end of the day, it's something that needs to happen. And all of these capabilities that we've talked about are not going to happen from day one, you know, so yeah. it'll be a case of, you know, building an MVP and then slowly iterating and adding more and more capabilities around you know, things like put redirecting, returns into yield generators or um, having this insurance pool or um, there's, there's, there's so many different elements that need to be added, um, but it'll happen incrementally. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a big project. Um, but mm. I, my last podcast that I have, which I haven't released yet, was with WADA, so West Africa Decentralized Alliance. And one of the things that they said that resonated with me was today or now is the time to dream, essentially. Um, exactly. And if you've got a dream, you might as well dream big. And fortunately for, for Carter, I know we have this kind of built-in uh, funding mechanism through Project Catalyst, which we'll touch on um, a mm. tiny bit later on. But uh, we can support you guys and this big dream of yours, this big project of yours through, through that, um, plus also just kind of social media and spreading the word. But now is the time to dream. And fortunately, we have infrastructure that will allow us to achieve those dreams um, at a more at a higher success rate than probably previously. Um, yeah. I want to quickly touch on the social impact real quick because I'm a big sucker for that. Um, so obviously there is a there's a housing supply problem, and if you can help solve that problem somewhat, then that's a good thing for the people buying the houses. But I imagine there's kind of more nuanced benefits as well, like building houses probably creates jobs. Like, can you maybe speak a bit about the, the social impact for those that um, have a particular interest around that? Like, how does this actually benefit the communities there? Like um, strong community, strong economy, like these all play, go hand in hand. Uh, how does this mm. kind of sprinkle out into kind of stronger communities through a project like Empower? Yeah, look, I mean, um one of the things that we had on the previous version of our website was, you know, we, we had, you know, empowering and then we would have like the, the word would replace, you know, it would be empowering communities, you know, empowering, you mm-hmm. know, women, empowering um, economies. So exactly, you know, you've touched on that from the point of view of 
Um, this is going to help um, these economies um, that are obviously struggling uh, for a, a lot of the um, places around Africa. So um, I guess touching on what you were asking about, you know, how does this sprinkle out into other areas? So um, our partner, Casarel, they've kind of um, highlighted some um, posts on social media and things like that around some of the um, employment opportunities that they've been able to introduce around um, the construction. And uh, I think the last thing that they said was, I think for every house that gets built, it generates eight jobs. So, you know, obviously 50 million houses need to be built. Um, I mean, obviously not all at the same all at time. Once, but, but you know, yeah, you get it. <laughs> you, you, get, you get the numbers, you know, that's yeah, 50 yeah. million times eight, you know, potentially. Um, so, you know, the job creation is absolutely amazing. Um, but um, I, I think the other thing that um, kind of stuck with me as well was um, the interview that um, the CEO of Casarel did um, when he joined um, Glenn and Alka from Empower on um, Cardano Live. So he, the, the point that he made, because he's obviously on the ground in Mozambique, is um, that a, a, a house um, and, a, and a house that is able to resist some of the cyclone issues that Mozambique experiences um, has other, I guess, benefits other than just the employment that it generates. Um, obviously, there's this, the safety element around being in a, in a structure that you know is cyclone resistant. Um, there's the, the health improvement that, that having a secure house provides as well. And then obviously the flow on from that, the, the fact that people aren't um, having to um, worry about safety and health, they then start to worry about some of the other things that are often put to the side. And so the, the other thing that we see or that the statistics show is that the, the um, gains in education as well, because people now have, the ability to start thinking about other things other than just their immediate safety and, and health. Mm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm a big believer in trying to change the world, but I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I can even spend time and energy thinking about that. Like mm. if, if you look at, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but essentially it kind of shows that in order to kind of get to a point where you can, think about changing the world you need there's a bunch of layers that you need to address leading up to that and at the base layer it's kind of looking surviving essentially and a key part of surviving yeah. is having a roof over your head so you talk about the fundamental human rights it's food water sh shelter um the other ones that yeah. pop into my, maybe there's more yeah um and if you if <laughs> if there's a problem around uh, having a house um even ownership of a house like there's there's a lot of problems that we need to address leading up to this thing. And obviously um, if we can address the bottom layers of Maslow's hierarchy, then we'll get to a point where we can focus on other things that are maybe outside of ourselves and our family. So, and it's, it's, it's quite tricky to, I think, quantify some of those things. So if you're solving the housing supply problem, maybe it's not necessarily like you can, it's creating eight jobs. It allows someone to have a home, um, but there are, like an array of other positives that come from that, that we may not know. And we, we may not know until they just happen in the future. But the idea is you're yeah. addressing a fundamental problem that exists currently and inevitably good's going to come from it. We may not be able to talk about exactly what a lot of those good things are, but inevitably if you, if you're addressing a root problem, a fundamental problem, an infrastructure problem, 
good things will just come from that. That's kind of just how it works and, as a byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're expecting um, that in addition to the uh, um, housing construction partners that we'll have, there'll be a variety of other service providers that will pop up around this as an ecosystem. You know, so um, there's going to be some barriers initially in interacting with the blockchain technology. So, you know, s- someone has to pay rent into the platform. So, okay, hopefully eventually the rent payer will be able to pay directly, um, but not everybody will have that ability. So that's an, another example of a service provider that might pop up, almost like a, a property manager who will, I guess, go around and collect the rent for everybody who can't pay it directly themselves. Um, and, you know, there's an opportunity for them to take a, a you know, a commission for, for providing that service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's just one idea that we've thought of. I'm sure there's so many other ideas that people on the ground who understand their environment a lot better um, will be able to think of that we've never thought of. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, can we talk a bit about your fun five proposal? Uh, there's a few more days left to, to vote for those that sure. are registered. So I'm going to get this out ASAP. Um, but can you talk about that proposal and how much money you're seeking and the key deliverables for that proposal? Um, yeah, so uh, our Fund 5 proposal is, um, we've talked to obviously about partners in Mozambique. Um, so we're working with Casa Real to, to do a pro- proof of concept. Now, we already know that they can deliver houses on the ground, okay? The difference with our um, uh, proposal for Fund 5 is we, we want to do a proof of concept around the type of housing that we would like to um, promote the use of through Empower. And this kind of touches a little bit on the environmental side of the project a little bit. So um, one of the challenges around, um, you know, I guess, building 50 million houses is if we do it with bricks and mortar, um, that's going to be a nightmare for the environment because, you know, concrete's not good for the environment. So um, we're working with, um, um, I guess, um, construction um, providers who can, um, provide housing in a uh, environmentally sustainable way. So the partner that we're working with along with Casa Real in Mozambique is a, a company called Easy Housing. Um, and so the, the, the structures that they have are CO2 negative. So um, they're using materials that um, obviously are, are carbon capture materials, um, but they're built in such a way that they use um, a, a circular modular process mm-hmm. So I guess for people who don't understand this idea of um, circular, um, people are obviously familiar with the idea of recycling. So if you want to recycle something, you take the, the raw materials and you, you break it down and recycle that material back into something else. But obviously there's work involved in doing that. Um, circular basically takes the components that were built and repurposes them to build something else. So mm. by built by having them built in using modular components that are reusable, once that house or um, structure is no longer required, you don't have to break it down into its raw materials to recycle it. You just reuse that component. Yeah. Um, so that's quite an important feature. Um, and obviously what we want to prove with our proof of concept in Mozambique for Fund 5 is that there is a market for this, that um, that the market will accept this type of structure um, so that we can then have the confidence that we can move forward with the, the project, in, certainly in Mozambique, but then other countries as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got to use this this the the funding from Fund Five if you if you get voted. Um, Correct. Do I guess 
create a couple of these uh, environmentally sustainable carbon negative uh, buildings in Mozambique as a proof of concept to say, I can do this. And there is a, there yeah. is a demand there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're a, an investor who may want to consider getting involved with Empower and supporting um, the construction of houses in Africa, if you're interested in a return, then what do you need to know? I mean, you, you need to know, am I likely to get a return? If I put my money in, will this actually work? Um, and if, the, if Empower haven't even proven that there's a market for this type of housing, um, then that's not going to give people the confidence. So it's about giving people the confidence that, um, yeah, we've done our due diligence on the on the ground. We've we've demonstrated and proven that there's a market for this that we can actually build these. Um, someone will 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 um, buy this house and through a, a lease to own model um, is prepared to to enter into that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're building two houses. Um, I, I, as we said before, this is not a uh, a charity, so it's not just something that the Karani community are, are giving to the <laughs> um, to the people in Mozambique. Um, they will still be doing the lease to own, and the returns will be fed back into the platform, mm-hmm. um, so that we can continue to build on the platform. Yeah, gotcha. All right, can we speak about the um, so the NFTs a bit and the the tokens? Oh, so before we go into that, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, if you if you listen to this podcast and you and you dig what we're saying, <laughs> and you're registered, <laughs> and you registered, and you've registered to vote uh, on Project Catalyst, yeah. then check out your proposal and vote for them. There's a few days left, and I'll mm-hmm. add the link in the description, um, which is down there. I've always wanted to do that. Okay, um, yeah. NFTs and the is the, so there's a token. Is there a token associated with this? So there's a utility tokens. Yeah. yeah. So there'll be, in addition to the NFTs, there'll be a, uh, a fungible utility token. Um, so, so why, why have a fungible utility token? So one of the biggest challenges here is, is that we're building a platform that will be global in nature. So that's both global in, in that it's servicing people in different countries um, around the houses and the fact that they need to pay rent back, um, but also global in people who want to invest and, and buy the NFTs. So we wanted to have a, a token that um, carried a common unit of value regardless of where um, that value was being measured throughout the world okay. um, that, w- that wouldn't have external forces um I guess, have an impact on the platform. So I guess, as an example, consider if we were to use ADA, okay? So ADA as a price can be influenced by things that for whatever ADA is used for. So it's going to be used in so many different projects around the world. Um, So if those other external influences were affecting the price of ADA, then that would have an impact on our projects. So by having a token that is purely for the Empower platform, um, it means that only the ecosystem around Empower can influence the price of that token, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you going to be, when people, when you're raising capital, will that capital be converted to this sort of token in order to provide the property developers or... Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So, um, so, so let's let's say, for example, let's let's go through the flow. So, I, I as a, um, you know, I've got a thousand US dollars that I want to um, help um, build some property with. So, I come to the to the Empower platform. <clears throat> excuse me. I I say I want to buy a thousand dollars worth of NFTs. Um, 
I can do that with the EMP token, which is the, the the name that we have for the fungible token. If I if I own some, but if not, and obviously we want to target people who are more than just the crypto community mm -hmm. here. You know, we want to target the entire world. So anyone who wants to help with this. Um, should be able to do so without even knowing that they're using blockchain. Um, it might just be a case of, okay, I want to pay with PayPal or my Visa or MasterCard. Um, that process will go and source um, EMP off the market to be able to then buy the NFTs with EMP. So whether you've come with your own EMP or whether you've come with another currency like ADA or US dollars, um, it will get converted into the EMP token, mm -hmm. which will then purchase the, the NFTs. Um, those um, tokens will then be um, locked in the platform um, so that um, it can essentially provide liquidity to the a stable coin for the country where the house is being built. So let's say it's in um, South Africa, um, then um, I think it's RAND, is it, in South Africa, the um, currency? So, so um, yeah, so um, some stable coins would be um, provided to the, the builder in South Africa who would then um, go away, build the property. Pe people pay their rent, okay, in, in that currency. It needs to be converted back into the EMP, okay? Now, th this is the important reason why we're locking the EMP in the platform at the time of the, of the house has being funded. Let's say the exchange rate between EMP and RAND at the time the house was built was, I don't know, maybe a thousand, a thousand um, RAND to one EMP. Um, this is going to be happening for 10 years. Somebody's going to be paying rent for 10 years. So if there are any fluctuations in the price between RAND and EMP across that 10 years, um, that's going to potentially dilute the returns back to the original NFT owner. So by locking it in the platform, when they pay their rent, they're actually drawing back on that supply of EMP so that it can be um, paid back at the same exchange rate that was um, we'll set at the original used to contract. generate them. In exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's, okay. a, it's an important feature that we need to have to ensure that there is no, um, I guess, uh, loss to the original investor over the 10-year period. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, if you're talking about a time frame of, say, roughly 10 years or so, um, mm. there's potentially a lot of volatility that can happen in that time scale. So, and and it could be on either side. It could be, it could be on it either could be side, yeah. Yeah, it could, could be on the EMP token itself or it could be on the, um, on the, the, the fiat currency in the country. You know, mm. we obviously see you know, inflation happening in different places. So we're, we're obviously trying to um, limit the impacts of that for the investor. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And from an investor point of view, if you kind of go into that, that contract and there's kind of like some fixed exchange rates at the very beginning, you also talked about potentially integrating some kind of rewards into this where rewards kind of fed back to the, the renters and the NFT collectors. If there's any potential upside, like an increase in price and you get those rewards, then you still get those benefits of those increase in rewards. Of course. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so you're kind of um, you are you're kind of mitigated from that risk of any negative volatility, but then through the is it kind of like a passive rewards in in a way like it's it could potentially be some sort of passive stream of 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 income um, that if the price go up, then you can benefit from that as well. 
Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I guess when when the rent gets paid back at the same exchange rate, um, it now lives in the in the platform as EMP. Okay, so um, that isn't is no longer um, locked to a particular exchange rate at that point in time because it only needs to live in the platform as EMP tokens. Um, if if that's then used to um, going to the insurance pool, insurance slash reward pool, or whether it goes into a, a, a yield farm somewhere to, to make additional income, um, then that can be done in such a way that it, it leverages the, the the market volatility positively or negatively. You know, mm. um, the, the 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 locking mechanism around the construction price and the the rental return price that that's the the primary. Um, I guess a volatility that we want to mitigate against because um, even if they don't try to get additional rewards anywhere else, they should at least get back what they originally paid in at the price that they paid in at the time. Now, once they get their EMPs back, if, if the value, if the price of an EMP has gone up since then, then they'll probably sell that. Um, but um, similarly, the, the EMP might've gone down since then as well. Um, so they may choose not to sell it at that point. But the point is, is that regardless of where EMP is at that point in time, it's it's they're not getting less EMP returned to them than they originally paid, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And for those that want to um, get their hands on some tokens, are you do- doing some sort of uh, token pre-sale or token generation event in the near future that people yeah, can so- keep an eye on? Yeah, so I mean, at the moment we are uh, we're currently um, in our private sale um, period, um, but we are um, going planning to do a public sale um, at some point in the near future. Um, now, there's potentially two ways that that could happen. Um, we're looking at, I guess, just a, a, a traditional um, token sale, um, as, as everyone is used to. Um, but we are also exploring the possibility of doing a, a, what people have termed an ISPO, I think it is, the initial stake pool offering. Mm. Um, so we know that um, a few different projects are uh, considering this. So we we would like to give people the opportunity to to get access to tokens that way if there is a desire. I mean, there obviously is a desire for some other projects. Um, so we've asked the question of the community. We've um, there's a there's a page on our website where you can register your interest for either just a standard token sale or um, whether you would like to participate in a, an initial stake pool offering. So if there is enough interest in doing the ISPO. Um, then one of the th- differences potentially in how we would do it is we would like to do it in uh, partnership with some African stake pool operators. Hmm. So we, we, we're we conscious of the fact that if people are standing up um, stake pools to, to do this, um, I guess, token exchange process, that um, in doing so, they're, they're draining stake from other existing community stake pools. Um, which has been one of the, I guess, the, the backlash that some other projects have received. So we we don't necessarily want to have a negative impact on the existing community stake pools. So we would like to, I guess, give the existing African stake pool operators the opportunity to host these stake pools for us so that they will continue to get um, something from doing that for us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the ISO, the IS. PO. Um, PO. It's definitely yeah. kind of a popular trend at the moment. And there are different ways to go about it. And I know Minsot, for example, is looking to do a 
by adding another letter to the acronym, they're doing a F a FISO, fair initial stake pool, stake pool op- offering. Uh, and they're doing some similar thing to what you just mentioned. So they they partner with a number of stake pool operators and then so we stake to them so they kind of get benefits as well. And then you also acquire the token through that, which I really, really, really love that kind of idea. Um, and yep. from that level, I'm pretty curious to see how that uh, evolves as well because there's heaps of uh, possibilities how that could um, how that could evolve and, and get better. So look, if... If, if that happens and um, people are interested in getting access to the EMP token via ISPO, um, you know, hopefully we can partner with some um, African state pool operators who will not lose any kind of um, fees that they would be getting from hosting their own state pools. Um, but I guess one of the other things that we're considering as well is there's an opportunity beyond our um, token sale. Um, this could also be an opportunity as part of a way to get access to NFTs to actually fund the NFTs for the platform as well. So um, by by delegating your stake to a, a stake pool, you wouldn't get an EMP token, but you would get an NFT, which has helped fund a house. So mm-hmm. it could actually be a, a mechanism, not just for doing the token sale um, as part of building the platform, but also a, a fundraise for different housing projects as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so just to add to that, so um, the NFTs, so people buy the NFTs, and the NFTs right. are used the money from the that purchase are used to to build these homes. Correct. Yep. Yep. And the and the owner of the NFT is has fractional ownership of any future um, wealth creation from that associated building. Correct. Through rent Correct. or otherwise. Correct. Yep. Okay. Mm, that's really so, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the original idea was that you would come to the platform and you would buy an NFT. So you would buy an NFT either with a fiat gateway or you would buy it with ADA or you would have EMPs and you would just buy it directly with EMPs. But if you could also buy um, uh, an NFT just by staking to a stake pool, mm. um then you are you know, all of the proceeds from that stake pool would be going into actually funding the housing. Mm. Yeah, and um, also cleverly, you guys are trying to. So obviously, in NFTs, a lot of people are buying just NFTs as kind of these collectibles, like NBA Top Shot, blah blah blah. Um, but then NFTs have infinite use cases, really. Uh, and one use case is using it to tokenize some physical asset like a home and you're kind of trying to marry the two of them so if you can create an nft that is treated as some sort of collectible where there's value in it just being a collectible for whatever reason that is and then that is also linked to to some physical asset and that is used to fund that physical the creation of that physical asset um Mm. that is potentially really really powerful if you could get that um if you can integrate that that collectible desire somehow whatever that looks like um there's yeah yeah it's it's difficult it's difficult to get your head around because it's it's such a new way of thinking about things um but people we've spoken to like the idea they think that you know people would would get on board get on board with that as a as a new way of thinking of a collectible it's just that obviously we've we've all 
we all know what a collectible looks like now, <laughs> you know, and it's usually, I guess, I, I don't want to use the word superficial because it makes it sound, you know, like, you know, but mm. they, they, know they, mean, they right? don't have any real, you know, substance to them necessarily. I mean, they obviously do have substance to the people who collect them. Uh, they have some real meaning, um, but I think um, there's an opportunity here to, to give something that has meaning, which has some real world, mm. um, you know, I can actually see, you know, what the effect has been. Um, you know, uh, we, like I said before, you know, we're, we're just looking forward to being able to link stories to these NFTs, you know, um, yeah. because I think, you know, as we start to do that, people will be able to get their head around it a bit more and go, ah, this is what I'm getting from this NFT. I'm getting this, this deep story, which could last for 10 years, you know? Yeah, that stories is powerful. Like stories are extremely, everything's a story, like if you spin it in certain ways. Um, but when you're saying how, if you have an NFT and, and maybe you could go on some virtual reality tour through that community and maybe interact with the people there virtually or even over Zoom or some, some, somehow, like that could create a really powerful I mean, think, connection. I mean, think about a story where we help fund a house for, um, a, a single mum, you know, in an African country. And over that 10-year period, she raises her kids. She's able to send them to school because she's got, you know, a secure home. And and the story continues where, you know, her child goes to university and becomes a doctor. You know, imagine that story directly linked to that NFT. And while it doesn't mean that that wouldn't have happened without this funding of this, you know, of this NFT, there's a chance that it might not have, you know, and so that's so powerful, you know, to be able to know that you helped contribute to that and, you know, you, you own the thing that will continue to have access to that story. Yeah. So from the person buying the NFT, the collector at the beginning, being able to see that, that progress um, will make you feel kind of good and may, may inspire you to do it again because you can actually see how this donation turned into this. But just going back to when you're talking about this impact score and the challenges around quantifying impact, if you if everything's tracked on the blockchain and then you can actually track this equals this, then it makes it a lot easier to quantify these things because we maybe back in the day, if we buy a card and somehow um, the person selling that card, they use that money to fund their children going to university and that person may have turned into the president of the United States or something <laughs> back in the day, there was no way to link you buying that trading card with funding the next uh, president of the United States who influences all the systems or like has a, has a say an influential force in the world economy. Wow. Your, your story, your story is so much bigger than my story. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but the idea is the idea is um, quantifying impact is, is cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we yeah, now yeah. it's a lot easier now because we can track all these different variables that affect that impact. But yeah, yeah. that's a, a tangent. But um, we're almost done. And uh, you said that we could maybe speak for. I think we've gone over a bit over an hour, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. I could literally yep. talk for hours about this, but I'll wrap it up yep. for the sake of um, keeping it short. People listening. People listening. <laughs> Maybe we could do another one later. How can people, so two questions, how can people connect and connect with Empower and support your work? 
So on socials, um, empower underscore IO on most socials. So that would be um, Reddit, Twitter, Telegram, um, or empower.io on uh, is our website. So um, they're, they're, the way, they're the ways to keep across what's happening um, and get in touch. Anyone who wants to get involved, um, obviously uh, suggest jumping in our Telegram chat and um, letting us know um, what interests you about the project. You know, we're, we're all about the stories. So we, we want to hear about um, why people would like to be involved in this project as much as just the fact that they, they do. You know, yeah. not just that I want to be, but okay, tell us why, you know, so yeah. we're starting to actually get people tell us some stories um, in cool. our Telegram chat as well, which is great. Cool. Yeah. And obviously um, voting for you guys on Fund 5 as well, for those that are eligible to do that. So that's a massive one as well. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, yeah. I think it's got, how long has it got left? I think not not too long, I don't think. Is it I think 2nd of August. Right. I mean, not 2nd okay. of July, August. Yeah, 2nd of, I think. Yeah, yeah, second of yeah. August. So I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm no, that would be really good. Yeah. People could vote. I've got to try and get this out. Um, I'll try and get it out tomorrow. So I'm posting one today, and I'll, I'll post another one tomorrow, just for the sake of giving people time to learn about your proposal if they haven't already, and and ultimately vote. Yeah. Um, last question. It's a bit of like a airy fairy one, but I'm a bit of a dreamer <laughs> like that. It is. What excites you the most about the future of Cardano? I don't know whether I've just um, been around in the community that long that I've drunk the Kool-Aid, <laughs> <You know>? but, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just, I, and, and obviously I have because, you know, I've, I've helped start a project that um, is, is doing the same thing, but I just love the, the vision and the opportunity that Cardano can bring to, um, I guess, empowering people who have been disadvantaged by, I guess, a, a system that's gone awry, we could say, um, you know, uh, what we, what we value in life has kind of been hijacked a little bit. So I think um, it, the tech is just such a small element of that. I think the community has been the thing that has really got me the most excited about Cardano because um, being around on different forums and things like that, you know, we, we've seen some trolls come into some of the different um, forums and chats and um, the community is, I think, quite grounded in as much as it's not just about, you know, you know Ada to the moon. It's just about um, if you if you don't want to be involved in a project that is going to make people's lives better, then there's plenty of other cryptocurrency projects out there. I think that to me is the thing that excites me the most about Cardano, it's the community. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, then please make sure you subscribe and leave a review or a comment as well, depending on what platform you're consuming this on. Uh, and if you enjoy the conversation with Empower and you believe in their mission, make sure to connect with them on social media, uh, check out their website and also uh, support them and vote for them on Project Catalyst. Uh, thanks again, and I will see you in the next podcast. Thank you.